Master Bowman podcast. If you're obsessed with the strategies, gear, and stories that will make you a better backcountry bow hunter, you're in the right place. We're independent, unsponsored, and unbiased, so we can cut the fluff and give you detailed advice on what really works and what doesn't. On this episode, the tables are turned, and Dan from the Elk Shape podcast actually interviews Baxter and I. So we did a swap cast. Uh, he posted it on his podcast, and we're now posting it on ours. And it was a blast. It was a ton of fun. We talk about the 2020 elk season, how it went, and what it took in terms of preparation to get us there. So it's, it's a fun one. We really enjoyed it, and I hope you do too. Welcome to the Elk Shape Podcast. I'm Dan Staten. This is your blue collar, do-it-yourself, self-guided, public land, elk hunting learning curve resource, where we leverage hunting to create more personal development. Our goal is to educate and encourage our listeners to become the best possible version of themselves through hard work, delayed gratification, and being accountable to themselves. What's up, guys? Welcome to the Oak Shape Podcast with me, Dan the Fitness Man. I'm excited about today's episode. I'm bringing in Baxter and Josh. These guys have their own podcast, and it's a really interesting idea. They've they've created a podcast centered around Baxter mentoring Josh, a brand new elk hunter, and they literally do go episode by episode on their mentorship. I thought this was awesome to bring them on and kind of talk about how that's going how the first elk season went for Josh and what it's you know what is it like to be a mentor a really good mentor and i think Baxter has got to be top shelf like just getting to know him and his style this guy this is a good podcast we're going to dive into mentorship and how to bring more people into elk hunting and maybe best practices when it comes to mentorship specifically archery elk hunting it's going to be awesome this podcast is brought to you by vortex optics hashtag fit for anywhere check out at vortex to find the awesome selection of vortex apparel that you can use for hunting for working out or just everyday wear and use the discount code elk shape to save 20 percent off Wilderness Athlete has a great offer for listeners. Elk Shape 30 will get you 30% off your first order at wildernessathlete.com. Baku, e-bikes, they're awesome. Game changers. They don't make noise. They don't pollute. They're legal in a lot of places. Just make sure you know the rules. Discount code ELKSHAPE400 will take $400 off your e-bike purchase. Look at the mule. That is one of the best bikes. There's three classes of e-bikes. You can change their e-bike to whatever class that you need. These guys are elk hunters. These guys are hunters, and they make e-bikes for hunters. Northwest Retention Systems. Use the discount code ELKSHAPE in your order, and you will get a custom-made chest holster. It's called the Scout, and that'll save you shipping and handling. I have two chest holsters, one for my 44 Mag Bear Country, one for my Glock 23 40 Cal, for grouse, wolf country, and personal protection. We have seven elk shape camps in 2021. Early bird pricing is going through December 31st. We are going to Seminole, Texas, Nashville, Tennessee, Boise, Idaho, Lancaster, Pennsylvania, Marysville, Ohio, Denver, Colorado, and we are finishing in Ogden, Utah, I hope you can make it to one of these elk shape camps. Let's figure out how to get your tag punched in 2021. Let's figure out how to dial in your nutrition, your fitness, your elk calling, your elk biology understanding, your personal development, your fiscal fitness. Let's just make you better at life. If you're interested in checking out that, go to elkshape.com and click on live elk shape camps. Stowaway Gourmet. These guys make the best freeze-dried food. I've tried everybody's. These guys make the best freeze-dried food. And I finally got a discount code out of them. Elk10 will save you 10%. Try the bison. Just give it a shot. Let me know what you think. Message me on Instagram or send me an email, elkshape at gmail.com, and let me know what you thought. All right, guys. If you haven't had a chance, check out our YouTube channel. We're putting out some pretty strong content there. That's uh, Elkshape YouTube. You can follow us on Instagram, at Elkshape. We have some digital products on the website from Fitness and Nutrition. You can check those products out. We have some swag. We appreciate your support. You have a lot of choices when it comes to podcasts. Let's get into this one. Without further ado, this is Josh. This is Baxter. 
and you're listening to the Elkshade Podcast. All right, guys, welcome to the Elkshade Podcast. Uh, Dan, the fitness man, coming in in hot tonight after elk season. Tonight, joined by Josh and Baxter. This is a hunting duo out of uh, California, and we are going to talk about elk hunting. Specifically, Baxter was successful this year, and Josh is a noob and got to join in on all that action. And so, boys, let's give a quick intro to the listeners and let's dive right in. Awesome. Well, thanks, Dan, for having us. Um, Baxter Bowman, uh, what what do you say about yourself on these things? Been hunting elk for five-ish years, so relatively new as well, but um, wild about it. And uh, you know, from California originally, actually in process of moving to Idaho, one of those. And um, yeah, I'm just crazy about the outdoors, fly fishing, upland hunting, elk hunting, love it all. And I'm Josh, uh, first year hunter uh, or first year bow hunter. And um, yeah, Baxter was my manager at work and he, I found out he was a bow hunter and I wouldn't stop pestering him with questions and he started mentoring me and here we are. Okay, guys. So this is cool. I'm not going to lie. Like I've had a lot of people pester me, Josh, to go elk hunting uh, for 19 years and I've always kind of laughed because no one's ever really like, I've just learned the hard way that nobody's really serious or serious enough or know what it actually takes to be successful elk hunting. Uh, and so you must have pestered and you must have followed through and done something to get Baxter to be like, okay, I can't shake this kid. He's rolling. So t- t- tell us, Josh, like, how did you pester successfully? Well, I found out he was a bow hunter and then Baxter, I mean, to his credit, he's a great teacher and he loves investing and teaching people. And so he already kind of took on that mentorship role for me professionally at work. And then I remember the first Friday at work, I think Baxter remembers this. He's like, all right, Josh, it's 5 p.m. on Friday. Like, what do you want to talk about? What do you want to ask me? And the first thing I said was bow hunting elk. And then, and then like that conversation went for like an hour. He was drawn on the whiteboard and they're, they're kicked off. Yep. And he, uh, you know, Dan too, he doubled down. I was like, I'll see if I can test him a little bit. And it was like three, four weeks before elk season. And I was like, Hey, if you're really into this, you'd fly out there without a bow and you'd go scout during season. Cause you'll learn more than anything else. And he did it. So, oh, that's was, right. Like, okay. Yeah. He's in, he wants to do it. Yeah. So last year I went out and scouted my first solo backpacking trip and, uh, didn't see anything, but saw some very old sign and learned a, l- a lot, I guess, from backpacking and just being out there. Seriously, you like, like you kind of said, go fly and rent a car and go to a trailhead and backpack solo. And, and you did that. That's real life. I did. Yeah. (laughs) Yep. Dude, you guys are awesome. I love it already. Okay. So let's back it up. Like Baxter, like, dude, how did you get into elk hunting and, and how did you get, obviously I understand becoming obsessed We're you know, we'll probably share that, but, uh, like. How did it start? Yeah, um, I mean, it was a long progression. I'll keep it pretty short, but I, I actually didn't even grow up hunting. I, um, I grew up fly fishing. That was kind of my thing and uh, camping a lot as a kid. But uh, I kind of slowly got into hunting after I graduated college. Honestly, I, I really wanted to go bird hunting to get the feathers to tie. And then after that, um, kind of my adopted granddad in uh, California is what I call him was like, hey, you should, you should do the hunting thing. It's basically like fly fishing. You just keep what you're doing. Um, there's, I think there's a stigma for a lot of guys these days. Um, that's been one thing I love doing is talking to people that don't like hunting because it's, uh, you know, I'm one of those like converts that understood like the value and the beauty in it. Um, so anyway, after learning a big game hunt with him with the rifle, uh, he'd always told me, hey, if you want to do something truly amazing, he's like, I know you, I know your style, you would love bow hunting elk. Um, and I ended up taking a year off of work um, and one of the things I put on my list that these are the things I want to do in this year, if I'm going to do it, uh, was learning to bow hunt. So, uh, probably didn't do it the right way. Uh, picked up the bow about a month and a half before season and, uh, went right out to Colorado over the counter and got really fortunate and got one the third day, but, uh, yeah, I was just absolutely hooked. Absolutely loved everything about it. And since then it's just been hundred percent. So, yeah, it's life-changing. You guys mentioned in the pre-roll, like a little bit of context. Let's go over um, family and social and work, like paint a picture of what your guys' day-to-day is and and who are you leaving behind when you go elk hunting? 
Yeah, absolutely, Josh. I'll go first and then uh, we can roll right into it. But um, so you know, my family is all out in uh, California, but I'm married uh, now. We actually just had our first son, our first kid, who is a son, <laughs> three months ago. Um, so it's been a really crazy busy time here. Um, so leaving her behind, and actually Margaret was, uh, so my wife was my hunting partner. Uh, so we, she'd been bow hunting elk her first two seasons, last two. And she got really close both seasons, but didn't quite make it happen. And uh, she was pretty incredible this season. Said, so, hey, I know this is your thing. And I'm going to come up there and stand in RV with you and take care of baby. And we'll be there with you. And you, you can go hunt. So kind of left them behind, kind of didn't. Um, had a pretty incredible season. I like that, by the way. I really like that. That's a, that's a super special gal. Uh, to be able to come back to camp and see your baby every night and kiss, kiss your wife. That's super supportive. All right, Josh. Yeah. Shout out to Margaret. She's super nice. She even like packed food and it was just really cool to see them all there together. But uh, yeah, I'm 26, no kids. So <laughs> I didn't really have much of a family to leave behind, but um, yeah, I had about a couple months between jobs. I just started a new job this week. So I figured I can take the whole month of September and, and go hunt all month. Um, so yeah, did half of it solo, little piece of it with Baxter and met some other friends along the way. Okay, cool. So this was your first real elk season with a bow in hand, not just scouting. Exactly. Okay. Yep. And then you went solo for the first couple of weeks, you said? Uh, I went solo, kind of sprinkled throughout, um, throughout the season. Yeah. Some trips were solo, some trips were with new friends. And then we, I did about, about a week with Baxter. This is great for me because the point of this podcast is to always leave elk nuggets on the table for people to grab if they're if they're hungry enough they'll they'll find them and also inspire people to do things that are epic life is short and to work hard towards your goals. Um Baxter you mentioned moving to Idaho was one of your kind of your objectives. Um what when do you see you get yourself getting here to Idaho? And by here I mean next door to me. I'm in Washington, which to me is like almost as bad as California. Uh, how did you, how did you settle it, your sights on Idaho? What part of Idaho, what kind of work do you want to do? What kind of life do you want to live in Idaho? Yeah. Yeah. Well, we, um, we always joke, we're actually here now we're, we're finishing our move. We actually have a place in Boise, um, which we've been wanting to do for years. We joke with everyone here that COVID was one of the best things that happened to us, um, because it enabled us to come here, right? We, we both worked in tech and both our companies said, Hey, you can, uh, you can work wherever you want. Um, oh, so that took me, took me about a week, right? Um, yep. <laughs> but uh, no, it was it was actually a, a crazy time. Um, uh, it was three, four weeks before uh, Luke, our, our son, was born. And uh, I remember looking at Margaret and we, we owned a, a small, small place in California. And I said, hey, we're on a depreciating asset and all the houses in Boise are going up. Like, if we're going to do this, we got to do it soon. Um, and so... She was again, this is a whole podcast about how amazing she is, but she was like, Hey, go for it. Like, I can't do anything right now, but make it happen. And so we've, uh, we've been really wanting to make the move for a while and we're really happy to be here. I think you said the crazy California where we, it's been a hard one for me to watch. I grew up there and watched it change a lot, but, um, we, we love Idaho. Let's put it that way. <laughs> That's exceptional. All right, guys, let's dig in. I mean, here we are elk season 2020, um, I've talked to a lot of people already about their elk season, and I can kind of say that no one's elk season is the same, and, and I think we all could agree with that, but there was definitely some common ground. Some people were saying that the elk hunting was awesome. Most people were saying the elk hunting was a little bit harder than normal. There was a little bit more crowding in the woods for whatever reason. You can blame COVID. And then... Um, the elk kind of felt like they were in pre-rut for most of the month. So I could probably agree with that for the most part. I definitely feel like I had to really hustle to get away from people, but the I'm kind of used to that. The, the thing I wasn't used to was like, I didn't have any really amazing bugling uh, consecutive days. I did, I did catch one or two bugle fests for lack of a better term. They were very short-lived due to hunting pressure, but uh, I think cows were being bred, bulls were fighting. It happened. It just, I wasn't stellar. What was your guys' experience like? Josh, I'll let you go for it. 
Yeah, it was actually really similar. Um, there was one guy I ended up hunting with that I met and we hunted together for like the last three days and he's been hunting this area for 22 years and he said it was the quietest season he's ever experienced in all 22 years in the area. So same thing. Yeah, not a lot of bugling, um, but I don't have much to uh, compare it to. I remember the first bugle I ever heard was actually with Baxter. It was super exciting. Uh, but yeah, in general, pretty pretty spot on there, Dan. Yeah. No, I, I totally agree with that too. We, I feel like the first three days, there were a lot of elk around and we hunted a lot of them silent, but uh, it was so hot and smoky that, that there was kind of a week period there where just wasn't much going. And then Josh and I got fairly lucky and we got into what, probably two or three days of bulls ripping. But, um, you know, and I'd been behind this area for four years consecutive and uh, I think it peaked last year, but man, there's still plenty of people around. Um, what was odd about where we were is they all piled right where we were. So it happens. Yeah. Well, we should probably set the premise for your guys' involvement in podcasting. You guys have a podcast together. Uh, it's called Baxter Bowman and it's the premise of it is you Baxter mentoring Josh in the elk hunting world, as far as what you've told me. And, uh, you've started it back at the early 2020 and you're going strong. Let's. Let's take some highlights from your show and dump it into this one. Like, give me like probably some of the highlights and some of the lowlights mentoring somebody. And then Josh will come back to you and figure out some of your highlights, lowlights getting into elk hunting. Okay. Yeah. That's a great, uh, that's a really good question. I think, I think the highlight with Josh is you'll kind of pick up on it a little bit on this podcast, but he's an incredibly curious guy. Uh, and they say, you know, what is it? Mastery is learning something, then teaching it. And I think for me, that was like by far the highlight of it is that every time I tell Josh something and, um, you know, I, I like did a ton of research and listened to a lot of podcasts, including yours, Dan, a lot of, a lot of guys that have great wisdom. I thought, Hey, I've pulled a lot of this together. And the second I'd bring it to him, he'd ask some other question and say, okay, well, let's go dig that up. So it was really cool for me to feel like I learned a ton while mentoring him. I think that's uh that's a big message of what we're trying to do is just tell guys hey like there's no more rewarding thing in hunting than helping another guy learn it because you kind of relive like for me i i I like envisioned that first year i was going out and how psyched i was so just reliving it and listening to josh like relearning was just that's the highlight without a doubt yeah and low lights um you know i think man i'd say it's just trying to fit it all in you know we did like 20 20 two podcasts, something like that, Josh. But, um, you know, I think we, at times it just felt like we we're just trying to cram it all in there. So I think the low lights is you could spend a lifetime talking about this stuff. And it felt like we just never had enough time. I mean, it was five, four months of like as fast as you can go trying to get stuff, stuff in there. So, you know, fortunately we've still got a long time ahead of us and Josh and I'll be hunting together again, but that was, that was the hardest part for me. And for me, I think highlights, oh, so many highlights. Um, In terms of the podcasting, though, I think the highlights is actually just getting the emails from listeners. We we don't have a lot, but the ones who do listen really appreciate it. And hearing all the encouragement of people and like how the bow hunting community supports each other was a big highlight. Like people send emails like, hey, good, tell Josh, good luck, you know, what you guys are doing awesome. So that's a big highlight for me. Um, Of course, all the mentorship from Baxter as well. A low light would be, hmm, I don't know. I, I think in terms of the podcasting, I guess during the preparation for this elk season, I think one mistake I made was I really over-prioritized the archery practice. I shot a ton and I didn't really prioritize learning how to call. And I also could have done better on the physical fitness piece, which I know you're big on, Dan. So yeah, that'd probably be highlights and low lights for me. Okay. Well, this is good. I mean, we can go anywhere with this, but I guess we'll start with archery, Josh and Baxter. So uh, I'm kind of shadowing my elk shape camp curriculum and I could resonate with Baxter. Like there's nothing more rewarding than doing those elk shape camps because we have a huge impact on people's lives and it's exciting to see them grow. And that's all we could ever ask for. Uh, specifically when it comes to archery, one of the first things we do at elk shape camp is we watch people shoot. We don't really know them that well. We have a piece of paper that says that their max effective range is blank, and then we go test that. And there, some people maybe should have written down 40 yards and accidentally wrote down 70 or 80 because maybe they thought they were pretty good in their backyard, 
But when, you know, a squad of elk-shaped camp instructors are staring at you and all your peers that you don't even know yet, it's a little bit nerve-wracking. And so uh, we start with archery. Almost everybody at every camp has something that they need to fix, whether it's just technical where like literally your draw length is too long or your draw weight is not at a manageable, uh, your peep height is too high or too low. Um, you are slapping the crap out of that trigger. You have target panic in the first degree, et cetera, et cetera. But we kind of try to tackle archery because you can have all the fitness in the world. You can make all the best elk vocalizations, but if it comes down to that moment of truth and you haven't really created perfect practice, muscle memory, things that you can rely on, it doesn't matter. Uh, and so what did you do Baxter slash Josh to instill more of a perfect practice approach leading up to the season. Yeah, that's a really good one. We actually did, uh, we did a whole podcast just on that with Josh. Cause I was, I mean, I, I, you're one of the guys that preaches this and it's, it's so true. It's like, you, it's the practice, you have to practice the way you hunt. Right. And, um, so for Josh and I, like we, you know, back when I lived pretty close to Josh, we'd go out and, uh, we just do everything. We called it like, um, like bow hunting Q and a, right. So I'd be like, Hey Josh, do you think you could shoot that from your knees or Hey man, do you think you can, uh, you know, do X or Y, right? Shoot uphill, downhill, pack on, um, you know, no, no range finder, all that stuff. Cause, uh, I was not this year, but the year before I actually, um, shot my elk in camp off my butt, <laughs> just sitting there and reached over and grabbed the bow. Cause I, he walked by. So I think the reality of like stuff, stuff gets weird and things are never ideal. Uh, I just want <laughs> to instill awesome. that to him, you know? <laughs> yeah. And for me, after I picked up a bow, I, I uh, hired a, this guy at our archery range who's shot in the Olympic trials before. His name's Roger. And uh, I did three one-on-ones with him in the span of like five months, probably. So he really drilled into me just getting that process down the same time, same way every time, even the mental process. And then me and my friends, including Baxter and others, we would go out to the range, shoot and do all those crazy scenarios. And we would do prop bets. So like each target, I'd be like, all right, we're going to do this one on our knees three arrows, best group wins. Then my friend would say, all right, next one, you're going to do this like on one foot, three arrows, you know, best group wins. Next one, it's like, we're going to sprint up this hill, downhill shot, one arrow, closest to bull, best arrow wins. And we would just bet push-ups. So <laughs> add the pressure, add the fun. That's outstanding. All right. So once we've gotten past the proper setup, I'm assuming Baxter, you've mentored him on his actual archery setup, including arrows, veins, broadhead selection, uh, release selection. I don't think we need to geek out on that too much, but um, maybe pick one or two things that you really emphasize when it came to a setup. This is yeah. the best question for Baxter, by the way. He's <laughs> a gear expert. A little softball lob for you, Baxter. Yeah. <laughs> a little bit of gear nut. Uh, I actually built Josh's arrows for him this year. It was pretty funny. Um, but now I think I think the, the thing I emphasized for Josh was just a super heavy arrow with a cut on contact broadhead. Um, because he's, a uh, he's shooting what? 58 pounds, Josh, 56, 56. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So he's, you know, he's shooting good, good poundage, but it's not like a ton over the top. And so I thought I, you know, I migrated from like a 420 to a 480 to a 520 and I'm shooting like a 540 now. And I just, the, the, the heavier the arrow, the better the results I've seen. So, um, so that was it. And then the tuning of the bow was number one for me. Cause it, you know, you can set up everything right. And get it all good but if that arrow is not coming out dead stinking straight then you're you're wasting your time so those were the two that we really focused on because i think you know like josh said he did a did the right thing when he's new to archery he got the fundamentals drilled into him by someone who really knows what they're doing and uh i just tried to give him a good setup for elk well that's outstanding now then we kind of move into elk knowledge elk behavior elk biology like understanding this ungulate understanding its needs um, you can teach them at the whiteboard, all this stuff, but it really, once you guys are in the field and the mentorship really begins, like I'm curious, Josh, what were some of the few things that stick out of your mind? Like, whoa, I remember Baxter telling me about this, but I wasn't really listening. And now I really understand what he was trying to convey. Yeah, definitely the sign, reading sign, because it's one way, one thing to hear it, like, oh yeah, you know, look out for sharp edges or for the 
poop it's going to be like shiny or greener but getting to see it live and then looking at the sign like the the tracks for example and baxter would like blow on it or he would like we would he would quiz me on like hey which direction are these going and stuff like that because it's just hard to translate it from like book to field or podcast to field and just exactly how old that stuff is okay that's like the perfect answer um navigation moving about the country in order to get into elk not knowing exactly where you guys were or the terrain topography features like what was the approach baxter were you going to like show him how to just straight up run ridges and bugle uh, find vantages uh slip through the timber do cold calls just read sign like what was what was like your most like probably go-to strategy in the beginning with him yeah my your strategy that i've been pretty successful with is to get hot you know it's to glass and to be fairly silent and sneak in on elk like i generally don't call that much unless you know i'm i'm kind of pausing here because i ended up getting mine by calling this year but most of the time i'm gonna go in silent especially in these highly pressured areas and so you know for us when we got there the first thing i did with josh was i was like let's go straight up high in camp and you know i i've been backpacking since i was like four or five and so i've kind of set up my whole system to let you go places where there's no water and get up high. And so that's basically what we did. Just taught him that right from, from day one, but you know, that's not a fun way to go right up <laughs> when you get to the mountains, but, uh, but it works. <laughs> when I started elk hunting, I watched VHS and DVDs. What I saw on those, there was no one sneaking in on elk. No one. It was all you know, Primos gets hit pretty hard by everybody, but it was a lot of Primos videos. They were awesome. Great, great footage. But if people listening didn't know, that's just not really public land elk behavior. And it's really hard to film a DVD with 20 kills on public land. It's not impossible, but it's definitely a little bit when you got a budget and it's part of your ad budget and you got to sell calls. Why not go to the Hills Ranch in Colorado, et cetera, et cetera. So my point to that is, how did you Baxter evolve to less calling or how did you start out that way? So I did a podcast uh, solo maybe one or two ago and I did the math and I, I'm the guy who has a spreadsheet of every elk I've killed the day, the time of day, how far a shot, how far recovery, what bow. So I do know how many elk I've killed. It's not like I'm on some weird ego trip, but I just know that. 90% of the elk I've ever killed with a bow have not involved calling, vocalizing, or allowing the elk to know that I was there. And for me, it was just a matter of that's how I killed my first elk. I f after several years of tag soup, I shut my mouth and I killed a bull and I went, hmm. So Baxter, how did you learn that? Or did you just stumble into that technique? Yeah. I mean, most guys are going to say they learned it. I for sure stumbled into it. Right. Um, but you know, I got lucky the first year um, and got one pretty quick. And I spent, what I ended up doing is spending two or three weeks still, because I had time off like Josh did this year. And I spent two or three weeks still hunting, even though I didn't have a tag. And I think you know, the, the most amazing thing about scouting during season is that you can kind of play those scenarios without worrying about screwing up. And mm -hmm. you know, I think it was really, really apparent to me that the second you called, if you didn't nail it perfectly, elk started running. And I mean, every now and then you'd catch one that was just perfectly fired up and just got to a spot where he didn't think a human was and you could do it. But I, I think after trying it a few times, I was like, oh man, this is, this is like a 10% hit rate at best. Um, and I don't, uh, I mean, I think after all those years of the other sports where I'm used on stalking things and getting in close, like I just felt a lot more comfortable that way. And you know, that's, um, I've been really fortunate with elk hunting. It's been a lot of luck, like a lot of luck and a lot of work too. But you know, uh, after what after this year, I think I've got four out of the five first five seasons, and they've all been other than the one this year that that quiet way. Because um, I also think it's something people aren't doing. And whenever I'm starting something new, I always am looking around to like what's the common wisdom because that's generally what you don't want to do, right? <laughs> like go go do what everyone else isn't, and that'll that'll go pretty well. Yeah, until the day where everybody starts sneaking in on elk. That's when I'll probably start calling. But um, I do think you're onto something. Like, think about these elk and their experiences and how many bugles, whether they be authentic or artificial bugles, and then they smell the human and they start putting it together. I don't 
I'm not going to stand here and, and tell you guys what an elk thinks and doesn't think. That's not me. But I got to imagine based on my observations over the last 19 seasons is like there's some generation after generation that have kind of evolved to go the other direction on in some of these public land spots when they hear artificial sounds that they've not heard before. They don't recognize that bull because these elk are herd animals. They do hang out. They do bugle in July. I'm, I'm here to tell you, you know, maybe not what we hear in September, but um, that's interesting. So what are, and I want to go deeper on this subject because it's pretty much something that I like to teach. And I'm, I work with Phelps on the Elk Collective and, and Dirk and they're world-class elk callers, guys. And I'm not a sh- too bad. I'm not too shabby, but it's definitely harder solo. And Josh, you mentioned you hunted solo a little bit this year. So I think calling solo is not as effective as maybe not calling. I think just based on my history. So Baxter, what are some of the secrets to slipping in on elk? Um, Break it down for us. Are they already vocalizing on their own? Are you stalking them? Are you listening, stalking? What's going on? Yeah, yeah. Well, you make... I mean, I'll asterisk it with this is five seasons and, you know, nowhere near a lot of these other guys. But I think the the you know, the thing that it boils down to one word is patience, right? Like, I think people don't want to be patient. I don't I think being fearless that if you are truly immobile and they're looking at you, you're going to be fine. And just like uh, Josh is I mean, hopefully Josh can back this up, but he's seen me and it. sometimes it'll take five minutes for me to go two yards. Um, and so I think the speed is, is a huge one. Um, but at the same time, like, you know, when it is the right moment running, you know, or, or literally moving out. So I think it's really, really hard to go between those two, like going insanely fast and insanely slow and knowing when you can do that. Um, and that's, that's kind of been my secret is just be super patient and know when you can roll the dice. Cause there's, there's, you know, if you do it right, you can go quick. And if you do it right, you can go slow either way. Josh, same question. You probably observed this technique and and you're trying to learn it. What's going through your mind? Yeah, that was actually uh, probably one of the steepest parts of the learning curve is knowing when to be super slow and knowing when to be super quick. It seems like over the years, you guys just, it, this this develops into like, almost instinctual like you don't you just react to the situation where i'm still in my head the whole time like how slow do i go and when do i go fast i'm just second guessing myself the whole way through yeah well i think we had a good we had a great example of it this year where we were coming back late from a an area we saw elk in and we didn't find them and there was a a spike in a cow and i was like josh like this is the perfect chance uh you know to demonstrate that i remember we ran we literally ran down a scree slope straight at them got within about a hundred yards of them um just made one or two cow calls but you know at that point lights dim there we're behind something we're coming from the direction they thought elk were in um and i think that kind of blew your mind i remember that moment you were like what just happened but we were literally running at elk right yeah that was insane because we were being loud because it's all rocks underneath us and then you were cow calling a few times and i think you got to 70 at one point but we were being loud going straight at them and i was just shocked i have it on video (laughs) Oh, that's really cool. And you sold a scenario, which is like the allure of calling and vocalizing is you're selling something to these elk and they're buying and, you know, you're challenging their desires to breed or to fight. And that's really it. Um, that's pretty cool. Or their curiosity. And, and I think that's exciting and I get it. And, oh, dude, I'm not going to sit here and say calling in a bull, slobbering, tearing down trees and coming in to screaming in your face isn't awesome. It's just something that I didn't, I just don't experience as much um, on public land like I used to, I'd say. But um, it also depends on uh, really what's going on with the elk. So hunting pressure and changing tactics, that's kind of where I want to go next is like, how do you teach that? Baxter was like, hey, you're running this play and it's not working. You need to go to the next play. And sometimes you have to change plays by the minute, by the second. It's not like today is just a slow play day. It, I mean, you just never know what, you know, the deck's constantly being shuffled. So how do you teach that? Yeah, well, that's, that's. I mean, your point, it's like the hardest one to teach. You know, and when I was talking to Josh, I think all we tried to do in the podcast is run through the scenarios. Because every year, if I tag out, I'll go spend more time and try to just add that 
that database of like those encounters. So I just run through those with him. But I mean, really fortunately in the field this year, we got to learn the real life example of it. And you know, the spot I'd hunted, there's almost always elk in there. I, I, you know, I like to know every inch of it because I feel like I can be in that same three mile radius for two weeks and always have, you know, two or three encounters a day. And it was dead dry. And so we got the, sh- you know, I got to show Josh, Hey, this is how you relocate. And, um, we got really lucky and had two or three bulls going nuts. And I ended up calling the one in that I killed. Um, and he came running down. And so Josh kind of saw that whole process of me kind of double guessing my own self, but you know, after immensely wrestling for a few hours, just changing it up. And that's what ended up pulling, pulling the one in. So it was, uh, I mean, there's just there's no way to teach it other than do it, and it's uh, it's hard to hard to say, but easy to you know easy to watch, right? And we also e scouted a lot. Like Baxter was big on e scouting and having a, a spot B C D E like just all over. And so I ended up hunting. I don't even know, maybe close to seven to eight different areas uh, throughout the month. Oh, I dig that. I'm quite the gypsy elk hunter myself. Um, changing camps, filling up my truck. Um, and I try to always do camp relocations, not during hunting hours. So it can make for late nights or really early mornings. And, um, but it's definitely what separates yourself. Um, relocating elk's tough, man. And, and trying to find new elk. And even if that means going to new areas, does it come down to going back to your plan from e-scouting that you made? Or are you going off your gut? Are you kind of reading the lay of the land and where are the bottlenecks with hunting pressure? Like, is it a mixture? How, what is, how do you make this solution? Yeah. You know, for me with this spot, I think I know generally where they migrate from. And that's, that's quite like, like being in the general area, maybe not the same spot each year, but you know, Hey, they're, you know, two weeks later, they're going to be up this time in August. Here they are in June, July. And so I kind of know the direction they're going um, to answer part one of it. So I kind of feel like I have a mental picture of what they're thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, and then what we did this time is, you know, hey, this this big basin didn't have that much in it. Let's get real high. So we got up to, you know, we were, we were up north, but about 10,000, which is tree line definitely. And uh, glassed out, you know, three, four, five miles. And um, I actually don't have a spotting scope. I just use a tripod. With 8x binoculars, I can still see, you know, if the lights right, you can easily see elk at those distances with 8x. Guys just really don't believe that. But um, so we did that and we saw elk at what I think it was like two and a half, three miles, and we relocated over there. And that was where we ended up getting the one. Mm, I like it. Yeah, it's really tough to change. And I think a lot of people struggle when to pull the plug. And I would almost venture to say that some people would be surprised at how early I'll pull up, I'll pull the plug probably earlier than most. Um, If it just doesn't feel right or whatever, I just not dig in the pressure or the elk, just the sign's not what I think it should be. I'm out to the next spot, but I've done a ton of e-scouting leading up to the season. Um, And so I guess that's, how do you put that into words, Baxter? It's like a teaching point. So when do you know when to pull the plug? Yeah. Yeah. That was a hard one. I mean, the, the metric I gave Josh was if you spend one night and one morning and you don't feel like you saw something within 30 minutes fresh, get out of there. <laughs> that was my, my general guidelines to him. Um, but he saw me struggle through that cause I'd been in the spot where I was hunting when he showed up for three, few days. Um, and I'd seen fresh stuff, but it was just nothing during the day. So, uh, that's, you know, my general rule is 24 hours without really fresh sign, I'm gone. But, uh, you know, think if I'm seeing fresh sign and I'm not seeing elk, I'm a little more, you know, two, three days maybe. What about hunting pressure? How, what is your tolerance to hunting pressure to where you'll stay versus what's that threshold where you're like, uh, we can do better than this? Um, I guess if I'd say pretty darn high if I'm at the parking lot, <laughs> I, uh, the first two, uh, the first two years I was at a, you know, I wasn't, wasn't the sharpest stick on the block yet. Right. I'm a new, and, uh, I was at a trailhead in Colorado, you know, and there's 20 trucks in the trailhead. Um, I got, got elk there. I think, I mean, there's always elk around. It's just where the people pushed them. So if I feel like there's a lot of people around, but they're staying in good lanes, um, I'm very happy there. Very, very happy. And that's kind of where I hunt each year is I've found a great place where there's a lot of these guys that hunt down lower and nobody touches up high. So I love it because all the elk get pushed up high. Um, but if I'm in an area and, you know, the 
Josh and I have talked this through. If all of a sudden I see tracks in my area, I see tents, I see guys around, then I'm gone. But other than that, I love humans because where the humans are, the elk aren't, right? <laughs> mm, I love that mindset. That's a gold nugget right there, folks. I'm going to point that one out to you. Uh, so, well, let's kind of go over the mental side of things. And Josh, I'm going to lean on you. You're 26. Baxter, how old are you? 32. 32. Uh, looking back, Dan at 26 versus Dan now at uh, knocking on 40. Not quite yet. I'm tougher mentally now than at 26. No doubt. I just lived a little bit more life and been through more things. But, I, you know, I wasn't a pushover at 26 either. Uh, mentally, I don't think I was born tough. I think it comes through discipline and constant delayed gratification-based decisions that I talk about on this podcast. How was it for you, Josh, this year, mentally staying in it day after day, regardless if you saw elk or were in elk, um, not missing your little Instagram or like some fast food or whatever it is that 26-year-olds miss? Um, how was it? How'd you do? Give yourself a grade. How can you improve between now and next year? Yeah, mental-wise, I'd give myself like a B plus maybe. Um, a couple years ago, I got really into marathon running, and I think that helped to build some mental fitness. I'm same with you, Dan. I was not built mentally tough at all. I like procrastinated a lot in high school, got average grades, didn't really try hard in sports. Uh, so the marathons helped. Um, going to these ten day meditation retreats helped with the mental toughness probably more than the than the marathons actually did. Um, and then also the last less the, the real big thing Baxter focused on with me was setting expectations. And and we did one podcast where we mentioned this, but he said like, don't define success as killing an elk, define success as learning. So, so long as you're out there doing the work that is successful. And I just kept that mindset in mind the entire time. And although when I come back from the hunt, everyone's like, oh, your first hunt, like, how'd it go? Did you get one? It, it feels still like disappointing to say like, no, I didn't get one, but I kind of have to separate that and know that that's just external validation of other people thinking I'm successful and realizing that, hey, I did it. I spent the time out there. You know, I'm successful because I learned. I'm just going to pause for a moment because I feel like that was so good. That was so well said from a 26-year-old. Um, I really dug that. Man, that's cool. Uh, back up. Meditation 10 days. What? Go through that. Yeah. Go through that. <laughs> Uh, yeah. So what that is, is it's called a Vipassana meditation retreat. Um, basically you go for 10 days, it's 10 hours of meditation on the calendar per day. A lot of times I take naps, maybe it's like seven hours I get in, but it's pretty tough because you can't look at anybody and you can't talk in anybody. like no eye contact, no words, no phone, no journal, no books. And, uh, yeah, you focus on your breathing for a lot of time <laughs> sitting on a cushion. You can move mountains if you could do that. I mean, that is incredible. I think that's awesome. Um, and running marathons is no joke. Uh, yeah, I dig it. I think that you guys are um, going to get some downloads from this podcast on yours just because I think you guys are very interesting. And uh, it parallels a lot of what we covered here, which is just like, man, expectations, experience, constantly learning and knowing what kind of success is going to define you. And at the end of the day, it would always boil down to, for me, did I give it everything I had? Was my foot on the gas pedal the entire time? Uh, could I stay in mentally and physically, emotionally the entire time? That's kind of how, that's like, that's my metric for my seasons. Uh, what is your guys' metrics? Ooh, well, mine uh, might change a lot this year. I think with the kid, Josh and I had great conversations about that. I think, uh, you know, I thought going into it, I'd be really happy if I, I got an elk um, just to have the meat around and all that stuff because that'd mean a lot to me. But I think uh, <laughs> it sounds weird, uh, but I think my metrics of success was spending at least 50% of the time with him because that's just time that never comes back. And I didn't really realize it till he was around. Um, so that was this season. Um, you know, if you're talking, on average, I think, like Josh said, if I feel like I learned enough to have higher chances the next season, then I did a great job. Um, and that was, I think that goes with the scouting after you got one, you know, that sort of thing. Um, if you're, I, I don't know, I think that's what's exciting to me about all these different sports and about life in general is if you, you get to that point where, you know, you are bettering yourself as a person, it's pursuit, right? Hunting is 
hunting is just pursuit. It's not killing. And um, if I felt like I've pursued something better, I'm, I'm pretty happy. And for me, the reason I gave myself a B plus is um, actually, I think my metric is similar to yours, Dan. It's like, how, like, did I do my best? Did I really give my best each and every day? And I thought a lot about what you said, Dan, about how a lot of hunters are scared of the dark and going into it. I told one of my friends that like, that is the thing I was most nervous about was like, will I be able to hunt till dark? And uh, I didn't, uh, not every, like only till the last few days did I like I told myself, hey, I'm going to go back just at least five minutes later each day <laughs> to slowly get used to it. Uh, that's why I gave mm-hmm. myself a B plus. But yeah, that's my metric is at the end of the day, did I do my best? That's outstanding. You guys are awesome. Um, well, Josh, just as a side note, there was one day out of 30 days of elk hunting that I decided to go, quote, hunt my way out. And, uh, what it was is the wind was swirling all day and I had educated every elk, but I was like, I'm leaving early. I'm out of here. And I never do that. And I, I left in the daylight and I'm walking, I had five miles to go and I went three and that's when I thought I heard a bugle and I was right by a Creek and I did hear a bugle because then the cows started coming down to the Creek right in front of me. And I mean, like I was not hunting. My bow was on my backpack strapped. And I ended up taking my backpack off, getting my bow off and getting that bull killed, uh, which also set another precedent. That was, I think that's the first elk I've ever killed without a backpack on. I always am telling people, you always kill elk with a backpack on. Uh, well, that was the first, but, uh, I, maybe it's, maybe there is something to hunt your way out. I don't know, but I, I think you got the point of like, don't let your fear, get in the way of how successful you could be hunting in those last five minutes of daylight are pretty special. Um, I want to finish with this, Josh Baxter, you're, you can add to this too, but like, tell me about your first experience helping pack an elk out. Cause it's super special. Oh yeah. I was pretty nervous for that. Cause I'm a pretty skinny dude. I weigh like 145. I'm like six, two. And, uh, that pack, <laughs> I keep joking that that pack was maybe half my weight, but, um, it was really fun skinning and like quartering that animal that part is just really fascinating um and i expected the pack out to be like 10 out of 10 like almost like last mile on a marathon feeling where you're just dead and almost done and want to give up to me maybe it was like a 7 out of 10 maybe because our hike out was all downhill even though there was no trail so that was pretty tough um but I stayed pretty positive throughout. I think Baxter um, made it tougher day one is we didn't really have any food with us. But uh, <laughs> I don't know, Baxter, how do, you, how do you how do you think I did? Yeah, no, I think that was uh, that was like one of the most meaningful experiences there. You know, like an elk is an elk, and it's a pretty incredible memory. But I think to have it with you know the wife and kid in the camp, and then to have Josh right there after this whole mentoring thing meant a lot. And so it was pretty cool to. Uh, I think I'll always remember that one because we were way back further than we thought we'd be. And you know, we tried to call a packer in and he couldn't come. We said, well, this is it. Like we're doing it. <laughs> and uh, I think I remember thinking this is like, I'm, this is going to be hell for two days. Like I'm not going to be able to think of this in a positive light. And I just distinctly remember getting to the bottom and like Josh grinning at me and me grinning at Josh and being like, that sucked. But it's, it's infinitely better when you got a good buddy there. Like it was, that was pretty cool. That's really cool. Guys, I love it. I, I dig you guys. I hope I get to meet you in person. Um, let's plug your podcast, your socials, whatever you want to plug, and we'll call it a show. Yeah, sure. Um, thanks, Dan. Likewise, we just, uh, I mean, you probably get this every now and then, but we've it's funny to be listening to someone you respect for like a year or two, and then you get to talk to them. So it's been, a, it's cool for us to be here. But um, I've got a website, baxterbowman.com. Uh, the podcast is called that too. Instagram handles Baxter Bowman. Surprise, surprise. But Basically, all we did is just walked through um, teaching Josh everything I learned from the first you know seasons I got elk, and um, we're going to be doing a recap of our whole season, kind of week by week. We recorded daily snippets and a lot of that stuff here soon. So if guys are interested, they can go to any three of those places and check it out. I think those are valuable resources. I really do. Um, just for people to, there's going to be nuggets in there, and there's people starting it off just like Josh. So. How about you, Josh? Uh, yeah, I'd point people to the same place, baxterbone.com. And then the podcasts are really great. It's like 
he goes super in detail on the blog posts and I just don't read them beforehand. And I just ask questions and he lays it out in a, in a really great way. Uh, so I just point him there. I, I have my personal Instagram. It's at probably Josh all spelled out P R O B A B L Y Josh. I know it's kind of confusing, but not really hunting stuff there. Just some photography. I like it. Okay, guys. Well, I appreciate your time. Guys, give them a listen, give them a follow, and keep working harder in the name of better elk hunting. And remember, separation is in the preparation. We'll catch you on the next one. Okay, guys. Hopefully you enjoyed that podcast. Those guys are awesome. I think they're going to put it on their podcast as well. Great dudes. Give them a follow. I'll put links to their podcast, their socials, and where you can learn more about them at their website uh, in the show notes. So if you check those show notes, and I also will put all the discount codes if you're into saving money. It'll be on there, including a link to the Oak Shape Camp, our YouTube channel, all that kind of stuff. Right now, this time of year, you might be in full deer season. Whitetail, mule deer, I know I am. I just want to challenge you all. Shoot your weapon in season. It's like the most challenging time of year to get reps in. Make it happen. I don't care if you got to set your target up and turn the headlights on in your truck in a safe place get some reps do some blank bell work on your shot execution keep the fitness going even if it's just general maintenance workouts break a sweat every day in the name of better elk hunting because separation is in the preparation we'll catch you on the next one